Welcome to the Tennis Talk Podcast with Matt Brown and David Mostert, powered by Newstalk ZB. Welcome into Tennis Talk, episode 30. I'm Matt Brown, but no David Mustard with me this week. Coach is holidaying in Australia, but we'll be back next week. Instead, I'm joined shortly by Nick Lester, Amazon Prime UK and World Feed commentator, who was at the Rome Masters 1000 tournament, the Italian Open, the iconic Foto Italico in Rome. A tournament where both singles champions will head to Paris for Roland Garros as firm favourites. Poland's Iga Świątek, the world number one, notched up her 28th straight match win. 6-2, 6-2 over Ones Jabeur. Now five titles this year for the 20-year-old who head to the French Open as a short-priced favourite for her second title there in three years. I'm pretty proud of myself, you know. I didn't know if I'm going to be able to handle all the pressure and expectations once again. And, uh, you know, keeping this trick, it's really it's really nice. Right now I can actually talk about it because before I was just focused on the next match. But um, it's something amazing for me. I, You know, when I was younger, I didn't even believe that it's possible. So for sure, all the work uh, we've been putting this week and even last year and my whole life, it's paying off right now. So I'm really happy. Novak Djokovic has timed his run perfectly. The world number one winning in Rome for a sixth time. Six love, seven six over Stefanos Tsitsipas. And the Serbian likes his chances of retaining the Coupe de Musketeer trophy and drawing level with Rafael Nadal on 21 Grand Slam titles. I go there with the highest ambitions and particularly because of the, the way I played here. So I, I really like, like my chances um, Obviously, the draw and everything, it's not something that you can affect, but, you know, it's going to also determine a little bit of, of my trajectory to, to, the, to the later stages of the event. But, you know, uh, best of five, you play every second day, it's a Grand Slam. It's different, really. The Grand Slams are played different and you, with, you have to approach it differently. And, but the way I've been feeling uh, on, on the court and off the court in the last few weeks, I, I really think I can, I can go far. This is Tennis Talk, episode 30. Up next, Nick Lester to wrap up Rome and look ahead to Roland Garros. This is Tennis Talk. Well, let's go to the UK on Tennis Talk and chat to Amazon Prime commentator Nick Lester, uh, wrapping up the Rome Masters or the Italian Open at the Foro Italico uh, in Rome. Nick, uh, I know you've had a, a good week commentating on on this tournament, and, and we've seen the you know the stars really rise to the top by the end of it. Uh, Novak Djokovic timing his run, you would think, perfectly in terms of finding his best level uh, ahead of Roland Garros' title defence. Uh, we know he hasn't played a lot this year, but, you know, to beat Stefano Sitspas in straight sets, uh, um, six love in the first, uh, you know, is a bit of a statement performance from him. And, of course, Iga Sviontek in the women's uh, event. Wow. I mean, what can you say about her? Four big wins in a row, title wins in a row. She's almost unstoppable at the moment, isn't she, on any surface? Uh, she, the, what, 2020 champion, will go in as a as a strong favourite in the, in the women's draw at uh, Roland Garros too. Yeah, definitely. I think starting with Fiontek, very, very emotional, Matt, actually, at the end of the, tor- end of the tournament, something we haven't always seen from her, certainly not in recent weeks. But I think, you know, going in as defending champion in Rome was a little bit of an extra burden, obviously being the world number one now, carrying this incredible win streak. And she just the way she dominates players, Matt, is so incredible. You know, she her forehand is so unique. She hits with so much spin. It's the ball so heavy. She can force the opponent back. 
her return game is so effective as well. You know, it's so hard to kind of get her off balance at times, especially on a clay court. She stays so low to the ground. She's just such a force and she's playing with so much confidence. And I, and I think, you know, they've built such a good team match, Fiance. They've built such a good team around her for so many years now that um, it's great to see that everything's coming into place for her and, and definitely a, a favorite going into the French, as you say, a big favorite. But uh as we know, at a, at a major, it's it's obviously a lot of hurdles you're going to get over. And at some point, I guess, you know, the back of her mind, she's got to be thinking the win streak will come to an end as well. Yeah, we've seen in the women's game, I mean, in the last few years, so many players, obviously, um, you know, win majors, a, a, a big big variety of players come through. Um, there's, you know, it's been hard to predict in a way going into a major because there's probably been any one of 10, 12 players who could win um, a slam. Um, even last week, you know, Ons Jabur, the first Arab player to win a, a sort of a series WTA 1000 title um, in Madrid, where she got swatted aside 6-2, 6-2. So, you know, this would be the first women's slam for a long time, I think, where you go and, you know, perhaps there's an outright favourite. Um, and that obviously puts a lot of pressure on her too. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, the manner in which she took over from Ash, obviously at the top of the sport, was all fairly sudden and all fairly unexpected when Ash Barty retired, you know, a couple of months ago. I don't think too many people saw that coming. Um, so she suddenly had to take on that kind of mantle in, in terms of, you know, being the world number one, having that target on her back. But, you know, I, I think if you look look back at the sort of the, t- the team that they have built, Matt, the, the team that Sviontek has around there, there's a lot of people on the payroll in her team. And they have they have invested very heavily in a number of different aspects of the sport, from psychology to fitness to the mental side to the coaching that have kind of allowed her uh, to have this buffer, if you like. You know, they've just put so much into her development as a player and as a person. And I think they're reaping the rewards of that now. But, you know, you're right. You know, obviously, Ash was was the standout number one. We didn't really see her her a whole lot during COVID because she didn't travel too much. But, you know, I think to a degree, this has come a little bit of a surprise in terms of her domination. You know, I think it's 27, 28 wins in a row now, isn't it? So, you know, she's very, very, very comfortable on the clay. And I think that certainly bodes well for her going into the French. If conditions are pretty warm and pretty lively there, she'll, you know, she can just boss so many players, Matt. She has the ability to put players under so much pressure off the ground. She just gives you no time on the ball. And, and um, that's really proven why she's so effective. Uh, let's look at uh, Novak Djokovic now because uh, I didn't get to see a lot of him play um, this week in Rome, but, uh, you know, he was uh, you know, fairly dominant, um, you'd have to say, uh, winning in straight sets right through. Uh, for a guy who has not played much this year for all the, the well, you know, publicised reasons, when he has played, he's, he's suffered losses, let's face it, he hasn't gone all the way. First title coming mm-hmm. uh, at a big one too, the, uh, you know, and he's won this title, I think, what, six or seven times now? So this is a real, you know, statement um, from him, isn't it, uh, in terms of, you know, he is going to be there or thereabouts uh, chasing that 21st slam in Paris. Massive week for him, Matt. Absolutely massive. Um, how often he finds his mojo in Rome. I mean, if you look back through the years coming into the French, he's tended to start the clay court season a little slow. Monte Carlo has not been his most successful venue. And of course, this year coming in in a very different set of circumstances. And, and I think we probably underestimated a little bit 
just what the opening three months did to him. Not not necessarily emotionally, but physically. You're not being able to play those first three months. Just didn't have the didn't have the match time. Didn't have the physicality that you know we've become so accustomed to seeing. And I think the big week for him was Belgrade. Actually, Matt, you know, he had so many good matches in Belgrade as in, on home soil. There, he played three or four matches, all of them going three sets. That really kind of gave him a bit of a foundation to work with. He got better in Madrid. Lost that incredible match to Alcaraz that could have gone either way. Let's face it, he was a couple of points away from winning that one and this week didn't drop a set on the way i think it's the 11th time at he's won a masters without dropping a set so you know the couple of elements that were really good the return of serve is back to where it was you know the depth he's getting on the return of serve completely neutralized what Sitsipas did today you know Sitsipas has been holding consistently but the opening game today was broken to love and you sort of felt that kind of just rock Sitsipas. you didn't quite know what to do after that and suddenly Djokovic was out of sight in the first second was a lot tighter um but yeah, Djokovic, in a, in, I think, in a very, very good place now going into Roland Garros. Of course, there was no Carlos uh, Alcaraz in uh, Roma. Not surprisingly, too, given the amount of tennis he's played for such a young a young player. But after that Madrid win, I mean, well, where do you see his prospects for Roland Garros? Is he the biggest threat to Novak Djokovic? Or, or do you still fancy Rafa, who, let's face it, um, is not the Rafa now that he has been, um, you know, taking his way to those, what, 13 um, French Open titles? Um, he's got some work to do, and he's also very uh, injury-prone at the moment. Yeah, big concerns around Rafa, I have to say. I think, you know, you sort of look back and reflect and you do wonder if the win in Australia, how much it took out of him. Um, and then, of course, he had that run in Indian Wells where he played so well. There's no doubt he's he's hurting physically. You know, the, the, the foot problem that he has at the moment, he's had for years. We know that, Matt. I think you go back to sort of 2005, 2006, the first time the foot was diagnosed. And he's carried that injury his whole career. He's just managed it. He's just been able to manage it well. I'm not so sure he's managing it very well at the moment. I think he's, you know, to me, just looking at him, the struggles that he has, he talked about it in Madrid, how the pain he's in between matches is, is at times, you know, very, very tough to take. And, you know, these great athletes, they have a way of blocking it out. But sadly, in Rome, he, he wasn't able to do that. And, you know, deep in the third set against Shapovalov, he was he was limping. You know, he was doubled over a couple of times. And I think, personally, where he's at right now, I think I find it very hard to see Rafa winning Roland Garros at the moment, which is, a, is obviously a fairly big statement. But I just think physically he's in a bad place. So for me, I would have Djokovic and Alcaraz as your top two favourites. Alcaraz... Clearly not the experience of the major, which probably may count against him overall. Um, you know, two weeks, seven matches. You've got to manage your time. You've got to manage your schedule. There's a lot of different emotions, I'm sure, that go on as well over that period of time. So I think Djokovic, is, having had a great week here, comes in as a strong favourite. Um, but Alcaraz may well be his biggest challenger. What about the likes of Sitsipas? Um, he played in the final today. Uh, you know, even guys like Kaspar Ruud uh, and, and I guess Sasha Zverev, uh, those guys have had sort of deep runs in these Masters on the clay. Where do you, where do you see that sort of next tier be safe behind, um, you know, Djokovic and uh, Alcaraz? And remember, of course, best of five. Yeah, I think Sitsipas is definitely the third favourite for me. Obviously had a great clay court run. Um, you know, winning in Monte Carlo semis and then final, you can't really argue with that. But I, I think, you know, when when he's really, really pressed against the very, very best, I think you do see a couple of vulnerabilities. You know, the backhand, when he's rushed off that side, when you go up with, with a little bit of height, sometimes he does struggle. There are still the occasional deficiencies in, in what he does. Doesn't really have a slice backhand, Sitsipas either, and that can catch him out. Certainly today, uh, you know, looking at the matchup today, he, he struggled against Djokovic today, no question. But 
um, without doubt, when, when he can play his best tennis, when he's serving well and he's using the forehand effectively off the first shot, he can dominate opponents and, and, and certainly will do what you would have thought in the early rounds at the French. Medvedev um, obviously comes back this week. Big question over him. Not a great clay court player, as we know. So unlikely I see Medvedev making much of a challenge. Zverev still not beating a top 10 player at a major match. It's, I mean, it's an absolutely remarkable statistic for someone who's achieved so much that he's yet to beat a top 10 player at a major. So he's still got, you know, a little bit extra to prove at the majors. The second serve has looked a bit vulnerable again at times over the last few weeks. We've seen a lot of double thoughts come in at crucial moments. We know his concentration can be a bit of an issue. He can wander in and out of matches. So, uh, for me, I just think those two guys, for me, sit behind Alcaraz and Djokovic as the overall package right now. I, but I think, you know, I think Tsitsipas would, would definitely be a third favourite. Uh, there's no doubt he's got great pedigree on the on the clay. But I just think today, you know, against the, the very best, I think he was found out a little bit. Nick, it was interesting talking, uh, you know, just a, a few colleagues, uh, you know, they're asking what's happening with Dominic Team because he's been back on clay, of course, a couple of times. He's been, you know, runner-up at Roland Garros. Uh, he won the US Open on hard court, but he's come back from injury and, and he's one of those players who's just struggled to, to regain anywhere near the sort of form coming back from a you know, really long injury layoff. I just wonder if you had a chance to watch him play um, over the last couple of weeks and, and what your assessment is and whether he can actually, you know, maybe find his mojo a bit. Um, I'm on the Paris clay. Yeah, I have. And I think I think the wrist is a very tricky injury to manage, uh, Matt, for a tennis player in particular. You've got to remember how much wrist there was involved in Dominic Team's forehand. I mean, this guy had one of the biggest forehands in the men's game. There's a whole lot of pressure going on the wrist. And for that to be the problem, I think it's taking him a long time to rebuild the confidence in it. I mean, if you listen to him speak, and I know that um, Jez Green, his physical trainer, it has done a lot of good work with him over the last few months. They're not really thinking that he's going to be anywhere near his best mat until the US summer. That, that, that's, that's, it's a long game for him right now. You know, he's, he's had to tweak the technique a little bit on the forehand. Clearly, he's lost a bit of confidence. His match fitness has gone as well. So, you know, he was nine months out of the game. He caught COVID as well. Let's not forget that when he came back and played that challenger in Marbella, he then caught COVID. So that stopped him from playing Monte Carlo. So has only really had three or four matches. I think we've seen some 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 nice sort of progression from him. Played a pretty good match against Fanini this week in Rome. But the expectations from, from what I hear within the camp is still very low. I, I think come come the US Open, I think he'll be hoping to be somewhere again near his best. Just finally going back to the women, because we've talked about maybe the contenders or the challenges and the men, but when you look at Sviantek's dominance, and yes, she goes in as hot favourites, but who do you see from, from what you've seen, I guess, in the last you know few weeks on the clay? Um, is Jabir, Ons Jabir, the, the biggest challenger? Are there others that you could see, you know, really? I mean, can a Simona Halep, of course, has played so well in the past but has been inconsistent. Could she rise to the occasion um, on the clay? Um, Amanda Anisimova also has, uh, you know, started to achieve some results again, a former semi-finalist at Roland Garros. So where do you see, uh, you know, the biggest threats to uh, Sviantek coming from? Yeah, I think once you take her out of the picture, I think it's it's pretty open, Matt. I mean, you look at you look at sort of Stuttgart. We had Sabalenka in the final there who didn't play a particularly great final. Um, I think you, you actually mentioned Halep, who does seem to be trending in the right direction. And we certainly know how effective she is on a clay court obviously got a new coach Patrick Moratoglu is working with her that seems to have given her a good new lease of life Patrick is a real workhorse you know Patrick is many things but one thing Patrick has is a very very strong work ethic and I think he's kind of instilled that given given Simone 
given her a little bit of a kind of extra boost at the late stage of her career. She's 30 now. She's married. So life's changed a little bit for Simona. So wouldn't be at all surprised to see Halep, you know, have a very good run. You mentioned Anna Simova. She's kind of been a little bit under the radar. But again, you know, had a really good week this week. Jill Teichmann, the lefty from, from Switzerland, who spent a lot of time in Spain, Definitely one of the strongest players over the last few weeks as well. I think semis and then, you know, quarters. So she's played very, very well indeed. So there's a lot of players in there. It, it sort of feels to me, Matt, as though there's, there's sort of a, almost not too not too dissimilar to the men's game. The older generation are just starting to lose a little bit of their kind of their quality. The likes of Kvitova, Pliskova, these sorts of players haven't had a great year. And I just wonder if maybe their days, their best days are behind them. And that's going to open the door for a slightly younger generation to push through now. Olivia, one more question. Do you see uh, Serena Williams and Roger Federer playing Grand Slam tennis again? That's a very good question. Uh, Roger, I, I'm going to say yes. I think we'll see Roger again at some point. Uh, Serena 40s. has talked about yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, Matt. Uh, Serena, good. I'm not. I'm less sure. I'm less sure. Uh, to be honest, I know she talked about playing Wimbledon, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure we'll see Serena again. That's Nick Lester bringing this episode of Tennis Talk to a close. Dave Mustard will be back next week as we wrap the ATP tournaments in Geneva and Lyon, the WTA events in Cologne, Rabat, and Strasbourg. And we chat Roland Garros, which of course will be underway. I'm Matt Brown. Bye for now.